Would you like to turn to Acts chapter 10, please? Acts chapter 10. Father, we always enjoy coming together as your people who encourage one another, share stories of faith with one another, pray together about things that concern us, listen together to your word. And Father, we're grateful that your Holy Spirit leads us into truth, shows us what we should know, helps us to understand what your word says and inspires our hearts, Lord, to live in the power of that same spirit to the glory of your name. So come, Father, and speak, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I once was at a church where when that happened and someone's mobile phone went, they said, do put £10 in the offertory as you go out to answer your phone. <laughs> I think that had a lovely way of concentrating the mind, didn't it? And, uh, okay, Acts 10. Let me read a few verses from the beginning of the chapter. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed four animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? 
the men replied, we have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day Peter started out with them and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called them together, sorry, called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You're well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So, when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Four days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God anointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it had happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheep being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. 
I looked into it and saw four-footed animals in, on the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and then it was called up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. So I began to speak. The Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So, if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance into life. I wasn't going to tell you I was going to read that whole lot before I did it, because I know what happens. You sort of, you know, it's a bit of a long story. But I needed to read the whole story, because it's all about the same event. If you go back to the end of chapter 8, you find that Luke left us in Caesarea with Philip turning up at Caesarea. Then we have chapter 9, which is a kind of sidelong glance at the conversion of Paul, Saul, and then we get back to Caesarea in chapter 10 at Caesarea. And at Caesarea, there's a great job to be done. This guy Cornelius needs converting. But when you go back and think, wow, there's a Holy Spirit-filled evangelist called Philip in Caesarea. Now, he's the obvious bloke, isn't he? No. They've got to go all the way, a two-day journey, to Joppa to get Peter to do the job when Philip is in the city already. Aren't God's ways interesting, don't you think? Luke tells in his account of the, of the um, explosion of Christianity, he gives us three individual stories of conversions. The Ethiopian eunuch is one, a wealthy politically powerful man. Paul is a second, a theologically, intellectual, spiritually powerful man. And here's the third, Cornelius, a Roman soldier with military muscle. Just these three, that's all he gives us. The others he sort of sweeps together and collects together and loads of people were converted here. Lots of people heard the word there and so forth. Gives us his summaries. But he gives us these three little stories because they're important stories. And this one, as you just heard me read, is told almost completely twice. And with lots of references, three times. And even four times. The mention of angels coming to Cornelius is, is mentioned four times there. And the story is given almost in its entirety twice. Because it is a key story. And Luke is thinking about showing us how the story of the development of Christianity goes by picking out certain stories. And Cornelius is one he chooses to do. And this the conversion of one man changes everything. It changes everything about Cornelius' life, but it also changes a whole lot of stuff in Peter, and it changes a whole bunch of stuff 
in the church as it exists at that point. So this isn't just a story about one man becoming a Christian. But one thing like that happens and changes everything. Let's just look at that briefly. This is a Roman soldier. And if you go back to Luke chapter 1 and remind yourself about why Luke is writing this story of Luke and Acts together, he says this. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. And he calls him most excellent. He uses that title twice more in the book of Acts. And in both occasions, it refers to Roman people. So it could be when he's talking about Theophilus, this guy, most excellent <clears throat> he could be talking about a Roman important person, important Roman person, who may have something to do with Paul's trial, whereby the book of Acts finishes with Paul's trial. And it could be he's an important Roman official. So he has deliberately chosen the story of a Roman centurion coming into the kingdom, which will go down well with Roman Theophilus. Be that as it may... Cornelius is a guy who loves God, he's a Roman, he's a Gentile, and therefore not a Jew, not part of the Jewish people, but a God-fearer. But he longs to know God. Here's the first point you might like to take away, that, take away with you there. When people cry out to God, he hears them. Doesn't matter who they are, doesn't matter what their background is, when people cry out to God, he is listening to them and he hears them. Now, you'd expect him to hear the cries of Jewish people. They've been God's people for a long time. They know how to pray. They've been taught in the scriptures. They know religious language. But this guy doesn't. But somehow or other, his heart has been drawn towards the things of God as he sees them in the Jewish people. Somehow something of their lifestyle appeals to him and he's turned from the multitude of gods of the Romans to the one God of the Jews. Something about their morality appeals to him. And he's picked up something of their ethos, of their ethics, that he gives generously to the poor. And he prays to God. Now here's not a man who knows how to pray. He's praying in the language he understands. But God hears. That's the key thing. You don't have to have a degree in theology to be able to pray right. Isn't that right? The cries of anyone heard by God. Now this is enormously encouraging for us because we are mixing it with people all around all, all day every day who don't know God like we do and don't know how to pray and if you said to them, well just pray, they wouldn't know. They'd think they have to start in a certain way and finish in a certain way. It has to be so long and use such language but you can pray anyhow anywhere, anytime about anything in any language and God hears you. So someone's concerned about his, his work and the drying up of business and he prays to God. He doesn't need a particular prayer. You don't have to go to a prayer book to say, here's a prayer on how to pray if your work is drying up. God hears the cries of people. He hears our hearts. Isn't that right? In fact, he hears our hearts more than the words I would suggest to you. So Cornelius prays and God responds. And he, don't you hear the echo of an eyewitness Luke says he distinctly saw an angel of God. 
That's Cornelius talking to Luke, isn't it? When Luke says, I want to talk to this bloke, and he goes to him, and you can hear Cornelius saying, I distinctly saw an angel of the Lord. It wasn't a vision, it wasn't an imagination. I distinctly saw an angel of God. You can hear it, can't you? God knows how to respond to people. But why doesn't the angel tell him the good news? The angel could have said, and all you need to do, Cornelius, is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your whole household. What you need to do is be baptised. He could have given him the story, couldn't he? Because the angel knows the story. But he doesn't. Because that's not how God works. He's got this man's attention. He's responded to him that he's encouraging him. But there's something else to do because the message has to be incarnate. In flesh and blood. Jesus made the message from God visible. And that's why you and I are also left on earth since we've been saved, in order to live out the message. So one of those living out people has to come and bring it in a form that Cornelius will understand. So off you go. Send someone to Joppa. Go to 33 the High Street. Well, it gives you address, doesn't it? You know, Go to Simon the Tanner's house and you'll find this guy called Simon Peter there. So Cornelius, bless his heart, acts in faith. God challenges him to act in faith and he does that. Coming to faith is always about exercising faith, isn't it? You've got to do something. Put your money where your mouth is, if you like. Put some legs on your faith. Do something, says God, and then he does that. So, that's one part of the story, okay? Part one, God hears your prayers all the time, anytime, always. And it's not only the things that you pray specifically about. God also hears your longings, your heart. Mother Teresa was asked how she prayed. She said, well, I go sit down and I look at him. And I don't say anything. I just look at him. And the person asking the question said, well, okay, fine, but what does he say to you? He doesn't say anything. He just looks at me. And if you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you. She said to her inquisitor, because prayer isn't just about the words we speak. Of course they are important or value or valid anyway, but it's about the heart, isn't it? Don't you find yourself running out with words, running out of words? Well, Cornelius tells us God listens and God responds. So that's one part, but there's two parts to this story. Well, there are actually three, but anyway, two parts of this story. At the other end is a guy called Peter. Who needs working on? He's not, he's not finished yet. He won't be finished till he dies. He's not finished yet and God has things to do in him and he's going to use this to help Peter grow. If you think you know everything about God there is to know, think again. The wonderful thing about being a Christian is there's more to know. More to know, more to grow. So he's not only given Cornelius encouragement, he's going to stretch Peter's horizon. So Peter thinks he's got a bit of time, so he's going to go and have a bit of meditation on the roof of the house in the sunshine, and he falls into a sleep. Here's something I learned this last month or so, when our grandsons were with us, with our son and daughter-in-law, and uh, I had my grandson asleep in my arms. Do you know what it is when you pray sometimes, and you find it hard to keep awake? Do you ever find that, or is it just me? You find yourself struggling, don't you? 
it's nothing nicer, us who have been parents and grandparents, to have your grandson or your son asleep in your arms, is it? Why should it be any different for God? Just a thought. Anyway, this Peter goes up and meditates, and uh, he has a vision. And in the vision, God gives him a visual aid, you know, the sheep and animals and all that sort of stuff. It's a very dramatic one, and uh, all these animals, and, and obviously God says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter, he's not afraid of rebuking God. He did it to Jesus, now he's doing it to God, isn't he? Second time he's done this. Not so, Lord, surely not, absolutely not. No, never, he says. He's not afraid of speaking to God like that. And God says, whoa, don't you call unclean what I call clean. And down comes the sheep again. And in it are four faulted animals. And the voice says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, not likely. I have never eaten anything unclean. Don't you call unclean what I call clean. And the vision disappears. And then the cloth comes down again. Peter's a bit slow off the mark, isn't he? Three times he has to see this vision. And three times he's disappearing. And he's still thinking about it. What on earth was all that about then? That's the thing about visions. You know what you saw, but you don't always understand it. But you know what you saw. So he's still thinking about it. Thinking, what on earth was all that about? These guys who came from Cornelius turn up, banging on the gate, calling out, Oi, is there Simon Peter here? Or whatever. And the spirit now says to Peter, These guys have come at my behest. Go down. There's a job of work to be done. Off you go. He still doesn't know what it's all about. But he's acts in faith. You've got these two people then acting in faith. As it turns out, very wisely, he takes six other guys along, mob-handed. He doesn't want to go to this Gentile's house on his own. It could be bad for him. So he takes six other guys along and they travel back over the 24-hour period before they get back to Cornelius' house, during which time Peter is thinking, oh, perhaps this vision's got something to do with this whole scenario. Do you see what's happening here? Cornelius needs converting. He needs to hear the gospel from someone. Philip is very close by, but Philip's okay. It's Peter who needs working on. So Peter's going to have to walk all the way from Joppa, all the way to Caesarea, because he's the guy who needs his mind opening. So this conversion experience for Cornelius is not only going to change Cornelius' life, it's going to change Peter's life too. As he sees God really does mean that Gentiles are in the kingdom too. The gospel is for everyone. So it's not just about us having the truth and kind of passing it on to other people, but in that process, seeing the truth more fully. Isn't that good? So it's not as if we have the whole content of the truth. We do in the word of God, but I don't understand it all yet, nor do you, because if we did and lived it out fully, we'd be in glory, I guess, because we'd be perfect, wouldn't we? Something about this opens me up to the truth too, and I see the truth more fully. Not just because God points something out in my quiet times or tells me something, but brings me into a scenario where I see things more clearly. So as Peter goes up to this Cornelius' house, and Cornelius falls down to worship, he says, get up, I'm just a man. And goes into his house, he does the thing that no Jew would ever do, which is go to a Gentile's house and have supper or any other meal with him. He goes in and says, I understand now. The gospel is for you, not just for us. 
Now, you would have thought Peter would have got that in the life of Jesus, wouldn't you? But he didn't. In fact, Peter is Mark's informant. And in Mark's gospel, he will record the fact that Jesus said all foods are clean. Remember that bit? Thus making all foods clean. He said that a few years ago. And Peter remembers now. So just because you heard it once doesn't mean to say you know it. You have to hear it again and see it. And then clearly that happens. So then he preaches the gospel to Cornelius. And Cornelius drinks it in. There are, in this sense, no miracles in this story. We've had miracles in other stories. We've had the miracle of Philip being whisked away by the Spirit. We've had signs and wonders at different times. But have you noticed that actually in the story, really, of the Ethiopian eunuch and Paul and Cornelius, the three men he chooses to identify, there are no miracles in the story. It is simply exclamation. Holy Spirit-inspired exclamation. Philip coming alongside the Ethiopian. Do you understand what you're reading? No, how can I? Unless someone explains it to me. So Philip comes up and explains Isaiah to him. No miracles, just a patient exclamation of the word of God in the power of the Spirit brings the Ethiopian to faith. In Paul's case, he gets a confrontation with Jesus. Okay, that's a miracle. Let's say that. But so far as his conversion is concerned with Ananias, Ananias just goes to him and, as it were, explains things to him. And he's born again of the Spirit of God. Exactly the same with Cornelius. No signs and wonders here. The miraculous is involved, of course, but no signs and wonders. It's simply Peter explaining the gospel. So in verses 34 onwards, you basically get Mark's gospel in miniature. He tells him what the story is. And he says, we know about this and we know about that, because you would do, because you've been associating with Jews. You've known about these things. But let me tell you the truth. He's raised from the dead. And God says, he's the one who's going to be the judge of all the earth. And all the prophets say, this is the bloke by whom you can know forgiveness of sin. So he's only just begun to tell the story, and the Holy Spirit comes down. Spirit-filled explanation is enough for someone whose heart is open. Do pray about the Alpha Course on Thursday. Spirit-filled explanation will be sufficient for people whose hearts are already opened by God for them to become his disciples. If God wants to do signs and wonders, praise his name. But he doesn't have to. Just a patient explanation of the truth about Jesus leads people to faith and opens people's minds up to the truth. So Peter is finding his mind opened up and so these other six guys and suddenly he sees before his very eyes a spirit come down on these people. They are transformed. They start speaking in tongues and prophesying. You don't have to speak in tongues to be filled with the spirit. You don't have to prophesy but that often is the sign that accompanies in the book of Acts the coming of the spirit. And Peter then says, well, we better get these folk baptized pretty quick because baptism belongs to the beginning of your spiritual life, not at some point later on. It's not a badge you've got so far. It is the point at which you begin. So baptism always belongs to the beginning of our Christian lives. So far, so good. But the third point about this is he goes back to Jerusalem. Whether he goes back 
just because he feels like going back and meeting up with his friends or because he wants to go and report or anything. But anyway, he goes back there, meets up with the apostles and the other disciples in chapter 11. And they say, Oi, what do you think you're doing? You went to the house of some bloke who wasn't a Christian. He wasn't, he wasn't a Jew. He was a Gentile. What are you doing doing that? And take him to task because they're Jewish believers still in this small mindset. So this story about Cornelius is told all over again. Peter says, well, just listen to this then. Let me explain. He doesn't try to defend what he's done. He just says, let me tell you the story. And he explained everything to them precisely as it had happened. When we tell the story of what God is doing, we don't need to embellish it. We don't need to shout loudly because our argument's weak at this point. We just need to tell the story. He just told, well, let me tell you what happened then. I was like you, and I had this vision. I didn't understand it, but I went with these guys. Actually, these six went with me. I've got witnesses, aren't I glad? And we went off to Cornelius' house, and while I'm speaking to them about Jesus, the Spirit comes down. Well, that made me think that's exactly what Jesus would say. John baptized with water, but... You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Well, they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. So who was I who thought I could oppose God? And the people who heard him thought, ah, and listened to the truth. And their minds were opened. And now not only is Cornelius in the kingdom of God, part of the church of Jesus Christ, a baptized member, going for it as a disciple of Jesus Christ, not only is Peter's mind open to this wonderful truth that Gentiles are part of the kingdom of God too, but the church as well has had its eyes open to the truth. So when you see God at work in your church here, changing people's lives, it's not about God just changing this person's life and that person's life and that person's life. It's something about those people being incorporated into the body of Christ and we see God at work and our eyes are open to it and our minds are expanded and our horizons widen to see all that God is doing and wants to do as we see it happening around about. So I hope you're praying for people to have their eyes open through the outer pause. No pressure, not being cajoled to do it, but just simply the patient explanation of the things about Jesus, bringing people to a place where they say, ah, now I understand. People being born again and filled with the Spirit and baptized in water, incorporated into the church, becoming committed, lifelong disciples of Jesus Christ, eager to follow him in everything. But that changes the community into which they come. It doesn't stay the same. It's constantly changing because people are seeing more and more of what God is doing and broadening our horizons so that the church becomes much more the embracing body of people it might be. So Luke takes time out to tell us this story twice. It's a key story in the explosion of the kingdom of God through the book of Acts. From this point on, the emphasis will not be on Peter, but will be on Paul. It won't be on Jerusalem, but will be on Antioch, going towards Rome. The focus will not be Jews, but will be Gentiles. This is a turning point in the church, as the church suddenly realizes that it's not in existence for its own sake, but actually for the world. 
It always works. And churches that have a view of merely being places for themselves tend to shrink. But churches that see their role as being part of the work of Christ for the whole world, those churches grow. Those churches grow and grow as they see God add to the number those who are being saved. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We honour your word and your name above all names and above all words. We honour this word, Lord, that it is the truth and how much we need your Holy Spirit to understand the truth, to apply the truth properly and to live in the good of this truth, living it out day by day. So, Father, our prayer is on the back of what you have said to us this morning, that you would be hearing the cries and prayers, not only of your people here in this room, please do that, Lord, but also the cries and prayers and heartaches of people that's yet outside the kingdom of God. For those, Lord, who are seeking spiritual reality, are longing for something different, hear their cries, Lord. And this group of your people, Lord, are available to you to be the ones through whom you can bring the message of the truth of Jesus Christ to these folk. So, Lord, Alpha is just one way in which that can happen. And our prayer is, Lord, that by the coming together of your people who know the truth about Jesus and those who are seeking the truth, men and women might come into the kingdom of God, be born again, rescued from darkness and brought into the kingdom of light, of the Son you love. And Lord, that you may continue to grow this church as a community of people who see their obligation and your desire that they might be reaching out right across this village more and more effectively than hitherto. And we ask it, Lord, not for our sakes or even for the sakes of those who one day will become members of the kingdom of God, but for your sake. Amen.